0: Biblically, when you read what God says about generations, He uses the word to unite us. We use it on earth here, if you will, to divide us.
1: That's Dr. Chuck Stecker, Executive Director and Founder of A Chosen Generation and the Center for Intergenerational Ministry.
0: Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast, with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi
1: welcome to another episode of the bold idea podcast this is your co-host
2: larry gates along with Armin Asadi,
1: and we're so glad that you're part of this show we want to help you put your faith to work and bring your bold ideas to life and uh, we are doing something a little bit different today because uh, we have Armin on skype
2: that's right i'm traveling to dc for the national prayer breakfast uh, very early in the morning, so I had to stay back, but either way, I'm excited for the trip.
1: Yeah, we didn't want to not do this episode because Armin couldn't make it in studio, but we have on the show today one of my, one of my real heroes, Dr. Chuck Stecker. Now, Armin, you and I have interviewed him before. He was on the Reinventure Me podcast, and it was such a great episode, uh, but he is the executive director and founder of A Chosen Generation and the Center for Intergenerational Ministry. He's got two doctorates because one just isn't nearly enough. And he's served for 23 years in the Army, including three on the joint staff in the Pentagon. He's the author of Men of Honor, Women of Virtue, Raising Kids to Keep the Faith, and his most recent work, If You Passed Your Baton, Take It Back. We want to welcome to the program Chuck Stecker. Now, our Reinvent Your me listeners will recognize him. And uh, we talked in that episode about living a legacy or a legend, and it was a classic. But we want to welcome to the program, Chuck.
0: Well, Larry, I Armin, mean, I'm thrilled to be with you. I love what you guys are doing.
1: Well, so <laughs> that that is so mutual here, Chuck. You you um, you go around the world talking to audiences about all kinds of things about integrity, living with integrity, but also intergenerational ministry and. Uh, For a lot of us, we may not really fully appreciate what that means, so we want to dive into that today with
0: you. I'm excited. Let me just, uh, you know, there's three uses of the word generational. We talk about cross-generational, multi-generational, inter-generational. When we talk about cross-generational, it's just really trying to main market share in the next generation. It's really a marketing term. We talk about multi-generational, which is, at best, what most churches or organizations are to talk in terms of this, that's really an event, a gathering, bringing people together from different generations. But it doesn't really mean that there's anything relationally being done. When we talk about intergenerational, we're talking about a culture or an environment that um, develops intergenerational relationships with intentionality as a goal of that for the benefit of all participants, if you will. And so this is about the relationships it's not about the programs we use those but it's really about what are we doing to develop with intentionality relationships at cross generational lines
1: yeah excellent well before we dive deep into that chuck let's take a step back for a minute if we can because um, you know when you when you spoke to us last time on the reinvent me podcast like i said it was a it was a classic i mean, one of the ones that i remember Really standing out, but I don't think we really dove in much in that episode, even about your own personal journey. So I'd like to take a step back with our audience and you know they they already know that you've spent twenty three years in the army, they know that you've got a couple of doctorates, they know that you founded a chosen generation, in the Center for intergenerational ministry. But talk about how did that how did that work for you, that transition from leaving the army after a long, illustrious career there, and then moving into this world of ministry, how did that shift happen for you?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Larry, and I appreciate you asking. I I spent 23 years in the Army, but I wasn't walking with the Lord that entire time. In fact, at best, I would say I was a chameleon Christian. Uh, I looked good as a Christian when it was needed, but on the other side of the coin, uh, just some terrible examples of what a man of faith is supposed to be like. Never really had discipleship, and mentoring, if you will, and even coaching along that line. But I don't blame that on anyone. I'm just saying that was, that was me and a lack of identity in terms of who I was, whose I was. And as we went through the military, it was in the latter years, and we found ourselves in a church, and there were some older men that came alongside and began mentoring and coaching me. And it was in one of those moments by myself, actually, after that, that, that idea, the, the identity to be a son of the king, just became so real to me. And I had never felt worthy enough. That was in September of 1991. And in 1992, we were getting ready to leave the Virginia area and our time in the Pentagon. And my wife and I were praying with two other couples. uh, Frank and Doris Burroughs are in their 90s now and still mentors and great friends. But God just kind of picked me up, threw me to my knees. And just in that same instant, my wife was right there with me. I was like, holy cow. And I didn't even understand for sure, but I I surrendered my life then to go into vocational ministry. I'm very careful not to use the word full-time because I believe every believer in Christ is in full-time ministry. It may be as a teacher, a lawyer, a businessman, whatever the case, but we're in full-time. Some of us are in vocational ministry different. It would be two years later that the Lord would lead us from the army into what was then promise keepers and that men's movement and i tell you i got 10 years of experience in three years then and from that god called us out of that and to launch what would become a chosen generation and so that's what we've done and that was in 1997 so we're in our 21st year of this ministry and just uh, very blessed very very grateful for what god has done in and through
2: us What kind of a person did you have to meet as a lieutenant colonel going from the Pentagon that you looked at that person and thought, huh, you should mentor me?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting, Armin, because your generation, we're doing some work. I'm hiding out right now working on a new book. And one of the premises of that book is that my generation, I'm 70 years old, we didn't grow up with life coaches and even the word mentor. We just perhaps had people in our, we didn't have spiritual fathers in terms of all titles. Now we can look back and see that. So don't be too impressed with the Lieutenant Colonel, you know, Airborne ranger, Special Forces. All of those things were things that were important to me. But I see now I was just trying to figure out who I was in the process. And ironically enough, these weren't guys of that nature, of that same bent of plot. Um, these are men that just love me. And if I had to look back, they stood in the gap as a spiritual father which little did I know how much in my heart I needed that and so much of it was they just overwhelmed me with their love and and wanted to see me grow through no for no benefit of their own it was it was amazing that was the part that drew me to them was men who could love me and want to see me grow and they had nothing to gain in the process nothing So that's what got me I can tell you the one man, Frank Burroughs, um, by the world standard, you say he wasn't a big businessman or anything. He's 91 years old now, cares for his wife, and just an extraordinary man. And uh, this guy, there's never a day since we met that I don't ever have to wonder if this man loves me, believes in me, and wants the very best for me, my marriage, and our kids.
1: Isn't that neat? At every age, you still like knowing that there's somebody out there that believes
0: in you. Oh, my gosh. Um, I don't think we ever outgrow that, no. nor do I think we're supposed to.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, it, and it's one of those things that I think is common amongst, well, I, I imagine both men and women, that we all want to know that there's somebody there that believes in
0: in us. And not just believes in us, Larry. I think uh, Warren Buffett coined the phrase skin in the game. And he had, I guess somebody was trying to tell him how to invest. And his comment was, you need a little skin in the game. This was a decade ago. I was doing some research on that, crazy enough. But they got to have some skin in the game. And that's actually a part of what I'm writing on in this time that I'm hiding out. You found me, but I'm hiding out. (laughs) In any event, uh, it wasn't that they just loved me, but they had skin in the game with me. They were there.
1: What does that mean, practically speaking, to have skin in the game with someone?
0: That means they would meet with me. That means they knew what my interests were. That means at times they would connect me with other people that would help me grow. That means also they had no problem telling me in love and they had earned the right if there were things in my life that we needed to look at. So how did
1: you get to this idea of creating the Center for Intergenerational Ministry? How did this idea of intergenerational come about? to bear fruit in your life? How did you come up with that?
0: That's an exceptional question, Larry. Of course, you're the master of those. I learned so much from you. (laughs) All right, okay, let's keep going. (laughs) The the reality of it is, no, you do. The reality is, as I started off on this issue of rites of passage, and you know that we talked about this last time, the book that we wrote, guys, it's been over 10 years now, Men of Honor, Women of Virtue. And we were helping churches do rites of passage for young people into adulthood. And after we would do this in a church, and this was across 20 different faith groups, churches, it wasn't limited to one denomination or anything. The pastor would stand there and look at us, and he'd go, what do we do next? And the crazy part with my military background, I saw myself as an arms dealer. I know that sounds crazy, but really just an arms dealer. It was like this rite of passage was this nuclear weapon. And my job was to deliver it to the commanders in the field who were the pastors they would know what to do they would know how to incorporate it into their strategies so forth well they didn't and so they would look at me and say what do we do next and so it was through that process that god led us to say okay where i thought my job was just the rites of passage god has me in the slow reading group and if i don't choke on it he gives me a little bit more in a sense and then we began to see this thing unfold that where god was calling us was to help churches develop strategies for intergenerational ministry and the resources, of which the rite of passage was one of those, but it went all the way to our seniors and everyone in between. And that's when this thing came about, Larry, was just uh, as God led me down this path to say, how can we best help the church, ministries, and other organizations?
1: Okay. Now, you so you travel all around the world to help churches with intergenerational ministry, but why is that important to the health of a church?
0: Oh, my gosh again that that kind of nails it. we have our churches dying right now and uh, a couple of them one is we we see this move where we focus on the next generation we also see uh churches that are very old and aging and dying out because they're not changing and they're not adapting but the real reason is it's not just about the the livelihood of the church and let's make sure that it continues to exist that's not the point the point is is that god calls us to be his family which means we should look like, act like, talk like, treat each other like, hey, what? We're a family. Well, we're at a point right now in my own family, and it's been this way. We say in intergenerational, everyone has a seat at the table. Every generation gets to serve and be served. And every generation has value. I use the word generation like that, even though I disagree with its use, but it brings clarity. And what I mean by that is, Biblically, when you read what God says about generations, he uses the word to unite us. That would be all accountable adults from the age of 13 till as long as God's given you a breath. We are one generation responsible for the glory of God. We use it on earth here, if you will, to divide us. We talk about, well, you know, that younger generation. The millennials. Well, we've got millennials, but now you've got millennials, right? You know, you can say millennials, (laughs) but now you've got Gen Z and Barna's just done some great research on that. But then you've got the baby boomers and you've got the Gen Xers and you've got the, you know, the builder generation. So all the time we're using it, we're dividing ourselves. So if you look at the livelihood of the church and say, how does the church function best? It functions best as God intended us as a family. And so that's my passion is helping leaders of churches, not for us to do it for them, but to give them the tools and the resources they need and help them develop them for the church to actually be seen by the world as the family of God for all, gen- for all age groups within this generation. So I get pretty passionate about that, Larry. I think I shared with you, I just left a, a college after an entire week there and spoke to everyone from the youngest students to the oldest faculty members, staff members, and so forth, and just had a remarkable time. But it was on this idea, we, we thrive together
1: I love it when you get passionate, Chuck. I see it so rarely.
2: <laughs> yes, sir, I'm working on that, Larry. <laughs> so, Chuck, what does it look like for a church to be a family in, in a way that can help us kind of take that perception that you have of it and put it into the context of our own churches, especially if we're in larger churches?
0: Well, Armin, I would tell you, again, that's an excellent question because sometimes you got to see the elephant in a sense to understand it. That's an old term that that's used in the Civil War, actually, and several examples since. But you got to see the whole thing to understand it. So your question is spot on on that one. Well, the first thing when we talk about this, every generation has a seat at the table. And the best example is in our house. And if we can take the home as a microcosm of the church and just make it bigger and expand and extrapolate your, your family out and say that's what the church is supposed to look like, well, we all have our personal activities that we do, you know, and so forth, but we gather for meals and all that we we gather for the mission of our family, the things that are important, the vision and the purpose and do things together, but the primary reason is we grow better together, okay? So when we look at the church, one of the things that we see is never has the church been more divided by age, gender and special needs? So when you go in, it's like they have to siphon you off. The larger the church gets, the more the need is felt, if you will, to have their own little groups for everything. And frankly, seniors now are as guilty as anyone in the church for being the being responsible for dividing the church into these these groups. and we talk about that as we you know as we've gone through. But this means that I'm not against seniors ministry, youth ministry, men's or women's ministry. Gosh, no. But we've got to remember those are the ministries. Those aren't the churches. And so often those become a church within a church. And the problem is, particularly in in youth ministry, student ministries, when a young person graduates or ages up out of that, they have no place to go. So that's the primary time that they're leaving the church. And then what happens is it's very much like we talk about churches that you reach a point in a church as it expands and grows because it's an it's got an outward vision, external vision of reaching the lost, serving the community and being a light on a hill in a sense. But churches reach a point, and we've watched this happen where all of a sudden, they turn internally for self-preservation. The same thing happens to ministries within the church. They grow by their outward focus, but they reach a point. They turn internally for self-preservation. Right now, the ones that are turning internally the most for self-preservation are the seniors. And we've got to break that curse in the church with the seniors.
1: Okay, I think I see some of what is at least going on in my own experience here, Chuck, in that regard, and that... You know, it's sometimes easier to hang out with people in your own age group because you can relate to some of the same challenges that those in your age group might be going through. Others may not understand it quite the same. And so there's kind of some maybe ministry comfort in that regard that maybe you're understood a little bit better among your peers. So how do you break that down so that you get people to move outside their comfort zone and to embrace interaction with those and other generations? I'll use that word kind of broadly. You know, we're already feeling like maybe we're relationally saturated as it
0: is. Again, right on the money. Here's the first thing that I would say in that is um, when we talk about the need to have relationships with their own peers because they understand uh, the problem with that is that doesn't necessarily help us grow. Okay, so when you say that, I fully agree with you. There's needs that I need to be around seniors that that understand where I'm at, my wife's at. You know, our kids are gone, the struggles, so forth. However, that wasn't that isn't where I'm meant to live. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so one of the easiest ways to do that is not tell people that. You have to break out of your group and those relationships. The greatest way we can get two generations, two groups of people of of different ages together to find meaningful relationship there is help them find a way to serve another group within the church. You know, I tell people all the time, we've got a group of young people that have seen hammers, saws, and screwdrivers, you know, at Walmart and wonder what they're for. And we've got a group of older men that, grew up with hammers, saws, and screwdrivers, and they know exactly what they're for. And when you bring those together, my gosh, the relational building that comes when you help a young man do something and learn something in the process, but not just for the sake of learning it, for the sake of serving someone else, then all of a sudden there is a breakthrough there relationally in that process. And it's um, a good friend of ours, as you know, Dan Schaefer was one of the founders of promise keepers, the four guys there, he and I talk all the time and we talk about, you know, it's navel gazing. You know, you get guys in there that have been in the same men's ministry group for five years. And if you met with them five years ago and you meet with them now, they've not been outside their group and they're still talking about the same thing. And there's really relatively little progress, but they get to tell everybody <laughs> they're in a men's group. So we call those guys navel gazers. They just sit down and they talk about where they're at in life but it's no different than where they've been. We're not seeing any growth, Mm -hmm. but get them out and do something and get them with younger people and some older people and so forth. And it's life changing for them.
1: So is this just a thing for the older people to reach out to the younger or is this go both directions?
0: Oh my gosh, both directions. Absolutely. Larry, this is, and here's one of the things we have in ministry. There's several ministries and I, I don't talk disparagingly about any of them. So don't take that at all but just about every ministry that you look out there and see that says intergenerational they're doing it for the benefit of one sector of the generation so they want everybody else to rally around so that part of the that part of a you know the age group there can grow better so you know I was involved in an organization it was about seniors and we wanted it to be intergenerational so the seniors would be more healthy there's some out there that talk about young people and young adults or teens and, and they want it intergenerational because it wants to help them grow. What we really talk about is, from our standpoint, it's creating a culture where all of the generations are growing in there. All of the generations are getting stronger in there and so forth. So it's a culture and environment where these relationships are growing spontaneously or, you know, automatically. And they're reproducing, which is really, you know, a good part of that. Okay. So it's about understanding what the culture is and how we can change some of that by changing the culture.
1: So it sounds like uh, you're you're describing um, a a culture perhaps within a church that's not just looking directionally toward one generation how you can improve it, but really looking all up and down the the, the generational chain, if you will, to say, hey, we got we strengthen each other uh, through this interaction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Larry, I've known you for a long time and I've watched you through so many things in your family and you're one of my heroes. And I watch as you've gone through very, very difficult situations, but in every situation, we look to the need of one based on what's best for the family. What can the family do here? Because it goes around, but it's that it really is about how do we grow our family stronger and grow the individual stronger within that? So it's not a question of sitting at the table in each one of the ministries within the church going this is what we need to be better it's about where can we plug in and that so as a father we say how can we strengthen our kids to be better better children but at the same time the goal is and you know dabo sweeney down at clemson his statement was you know if we're not helping these young men become strong young men good husbands and good fathers no matter what the one loss record is we failed And I think you and I look at the family the same way. You know, we can look at this and say, unless we're helping our sons and our daughters be better people, citizens, sons and daughters of the king, but then husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, and helping them do those things better, then as a family, we we just, let's just say we failed. We haven't done the best we could. Mm -hmm. Okay? So the church has to be the same thing, and we're all in this thing together. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Well, I mean,
1: this is probably a good time to take a pause from this episode and thank our listeners who've supported the Bold Idea Podcast.
2: You are the reason we exist. This is a non-profit. That means we don't make profit off of doing this. This costs money. So if you're the people out there that are supporting us and donating to us, you're the reason that we've been able to do this for over a year. And we'd love to be able to do this for another year or two and bring on more amazing guests. So we would love your support. If you feel so led, just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate. And thank you again.
1: Let's take this home a little bit in terms of uh, personal application. So here's a question for you, Chuck. Um, I, so I'm getting it. What you know, what you're on point about is that we're all better off when we have a broad circle of people that we serve and that serve us. That 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 we are are best able to grow when we surround ourselves with a wide swath of of people across the generations. So how do we? decide or determine what steps we need to take to become more intergenerational, intentionally intergenerational, I think is the words you used.
0: Yes. Well, I think that the very first thing is you've got to see this as not a program, but a way of life. And you don't get into it because the church says, you know, we just need to do this or we're going to die as a church. You, you really have God change your heart. You know what he says is he will give you a new nature. But there's a longing inside of us, I believe, for all of us, that we know that seniors do so much better when they're around younger people. It's one of the indicators of their lifespan. If they're going to live longer, you can look at them relationally and see if they've got a lot of young people in their life or if they're just hanging out with people ready to die, you know, it speaks about how long they're going to live and what they have to live for. We also know this, young people thrive much better when they're around older people that speak into their life, believe in them and invest in them. So the first thing is, number one thing is, if you don't really believe that this is how God intended us to live and be, that's the first change. Otherwise, you're just asking for a program. You know, how do we fix this programmatically? And I'll, I'll do whatever you need me to do. That's not going to get the job done. So we've got to own this. And we got to know in our heart of hearts, this is what we're called to. The second thing is, is we've got to look with intentionality where the opportunities are. So my very first thing is, and I just got through talking to staff members at the college, and they said, how do we connect with young people? And I said, well, look around. They're every place. What are you talking about? And they, "And I said, number one thing you've got to do is look available. And you get these looks on their face like, what does it mean to look available? And when, when they look at me like that, I said, look, let me just ask you a question. Before you were married and you were single— And they'll look at you like, oh, guys, can we even think about that? Is that sacrilegious to go? Oh, I remember before I got married. I go, give me a break. You all remember that. I said, the number one thing is, did you ever have a difficult time walking into any room, making sure by your body language, your eye contact, that everybody in the room knew you were available? Hey, look, I was single as a second lieutenant, first lieutenant, and a captain. I walked into any room, and believe me, everybody in that room knew I was available. (laughs) Like a scene
1: from Top Gun, huh? (laughs) There's it. It's a target-rich environment.
0: Here I am. And, you know, you also have that look that says, and how lucky you are that I'm here. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, heck yes. So the bottom line is, you got to look available. You can't crouch down with your shoulders over, not make eye contact with anybody and go, oh, well, just nobody ever talks to me. Well, no, they wouldn't. Why would they want to? You know what I'm
1: saying? Well, you know, I think there's a, there's kind of a cultural thing, Chuck, in, in that we often want to appear busy because busy people are have the perception of being successful and I don't have time, you know, so they're unapproachable. It almost seems like, you know, the more unapproachable we are, perhaps the more successful we'll be perceived. And it bothers me when I see people who could really help others just not make any time for them because, you know, they're, they're really so busy. And I, and I know that you can't accommodate everybody. Jesus never did either, but it just, where do you draw that line?
0: I think the first thing is very few people are near that line right now, so we can worry about that later, <laughs> okay? I mean, really, we're telling them what the, you know, we're telling them how full you can make a glass they haven't poured anything into yet. I mean, that's kind of give me a break. Let's just get started, and God will tell you when your glass is overflowing. So, But I understand what you're saying. There is that perception that, Busyness means I'm successful. And look how busy I am. Where the reality of it is, I think that what we will be judged by, first of all, is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, I think I think the other I think the other judgment piece for me is what did I do in this life to help other people in the process? Help them grow, help them find out who they're supposed to be, who God created them to be. And the wealth for me. The wealth for me is seeing young men and women and older men and women. Larry, I mean, it's crazy enough. I'm 70. I meet with older people that need help at times, okay, Mm -hmm. and so forth. And it's not just planning their funeral, okay? So I I think those relational issues, I go back to there was a story, and I'm not going to get the names right without looking at some notes, but bottom line, it was was in World War II, and a German general was surrendering. He was a three-star general. And the man that was told to go receive the surrender from him on this part of the battlefield was a one star general, U.S. And the one star general, U.S., went, showed up, and he's in his battle fatigues. He's dirty, beat up, you know, tired, and hungry. And he walked into this room, and the German general was there in his full regalia, and he had his uniform on with all of his medals and everything and so forth. And he had two other generals behind him looking in their splendor. And the German general asked the American general, what are your credentials? And the American general looked at him and said, as he turned around with the sergeants, the soldiers, and the young officers that accompanied him, he turned around and looked at them. And then he said to the German general, these are my credentials. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, I... I look at that in life when people say, Chuck, what are your credentials? I just want them to meet the people that I'm in relationship with. And they say, what gives you the right to speak on these things? I said, here's my credentials. It's not in a degree. It's not in anything I've written. It's in the people that are in my life. And I,
2: and for whatever reason, allow me to be in their life. Yeah. That's I good. love that story. How do you get, so I get what's in it for my generation, right? So being yeah. around people like you and Larry, you don't have to think too hard what's in it for me you know i just throw a ball up and uh, you'll hit a target of the one million value pieces that you guys could add to someone like me or anyone my age or younger but how do you inspire your generation to actually want to get around people young as me or younger and what what do you tell them the value is because even telling a story like that as inspirational as it is i I, I feel like a lot of people are just going to listen to that and be like, that's great, and I'm not going to do anything with that other than share that story. Armin,
0: one of the things I'm hiding out to write is a new book called Encomentor. Remember at the beginning of this podcast, you used the word coach or mentor, and I said, you know, those aren't words that we use in my generation. So what we've done is, first of all, we've got to combat the enemy out there in a sense, particularly with the older generation, that when you use the word like a coach, you need to coach these young people. You need to be a mentor for them and so forth. My experience is far too many people in the older generation, when you say that, we feel unqualified or disqualified. Very often we, across the generation, they see their own children that they haven't done as well with, Mm -hmm. or they see mistakes that they've made in their life. And we have a problem seeing ourselves as having any value that you would want. So the first thing we've got to do is we've got to break this down so what we've done in the ministry is we've invented a new word my new word is inco it's capital e n capital c o m e n t o r it means encourager coach mentor three of the chapters in the book that i'm writing one is sometimes a coach sometimes a mentor but always an encourager so what we've got to do is we've got to create a win for the seniors To say and make it reachable teachable and reproducible in their lives that they have something to add they have something to contribute but we can't use words like mentor and coach that they feel like first of all we've so professionalized those words by the way i just got an email again saying for only five thousand dollars i could learn to be a life coach and i now, by the way there are many life coaches and i hope they're hearing this We desperately need qualified life coaches for leaders, for CEOs, for people to help them grow. Absolutely. But that's a select few in my mind compared to the entire population of seniors that are available. Keep in mind, we have 10,000 baby boomers a day turning 65. They're looking to, and I believe, they're looking for someone to help them go from this success they're retiring to significance, what will they be remembered for? And so we're working on this resource to say, hey, you want to have something you'll be remembered for? Invest your life in a younger person and how to look available on that and the steps that they can take and and offer that opportunity, if you will, to a young person.
1: Well, that's great, Chuck. And you've answer the question that i had for you next which is what's next for chuck and i guess that that's uh, working on this inco mentor book
0: there you go <laughs> i'm absolutely and by the way we have just come out with another resource for the church and it's called if you pass your baton take it back and that targets the seniors because we've used this word passing the baton like it was a biblical term and actually it's not it has nothing to do with anything from the bible It's a relay race. And when you pass the baton, you quit running, get off the track, and you're now out of the race. You know, and the Apostle Paul says that, you know, he finished the race, kept the faith, you know, fought the good fight, all of those things. You cannot, and we're telling seniors all over the country now, you cannot finish a race. You just quit.
1: Yeah. 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 The Apostle Paul didn't pass the baton, right? (laughs)
0: That's Yeah. Pass the baton means you're done. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're trying to help them understand the difference between passing the mantle of leadership and the baton of engagement. And what that means is everything biblical says, I invest my life in the Armeens of the world. And I pass the mantle of leadership to them, trust them with that leadership, keep encouraging, coaching, and mentoring them in that leadership. But I'm going to hang on to that baton, and I'm going to stay in this thing until God calls me home.
1: Oh good. Amen. Hey, so Chuck, how can our listeners learn more about your latest book and uh, more about you and the Center for Intergenerational Ministry?
0: Well, I think uh, one, just go to achosengeneration.org. Got to have the A in front of it, achosengeneration.org. And the new book is on there. We just did this thing. And I'm realizing in the process, Larry and Armin, I, uh, I have sinned gratefully because you don't have your copies of those already. Oh, I, so, I have uh, mine. Oh, did you get your? Oh, yeah, Larry? you bet I did. Oh. Okay, Armin, did you get a copy? I have not. You know what, Larry? Let's do this. Why don't I um, will have our office send you five copies, and you're free to distribute those to your podcast listeners. I'll make it six because, Armin, you get one of them. And I'm mm-hmm. going to send you those and just say, for your podcast listeners, if they'd like to have a free copy— you're you've got five to give away you can make up the rules any way you want to (laughs) all right well how they get those if they (laughs) got to stand on their head if they've got to acknowledge they've got 10 younger people in their life you don't get an affidavit i don't care how you do it but i'm just (laughs) going to put them in your hands and you do what you need to do to help encourage this process
1: well i know our listeners will love it so chuck thanks (laughs) again for being on the show today we really just always enjoy speaking with you i'm glad you were able to accommodate us
0: Guys, I am so deeply honored that you would allow me to be a part of this with you. I follow both of you. I love what you're doing on these podcasts. And believe me, you're making a huge difference in the lives of people. Just read the comments that come through after each one of yours. So just thank you for what you're doing. And I pray that God will just bless you, give you favor, and actually bring divine appointments into your life of people that can come alongside the mission that God has given you on this. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Amen. Chuck. God bless you guys. Thank you. Me
1: too. All right, I mean, I don't think I have to tell you I just love that guy.
2: Uh, yeah. I'm with you. (laughs) Uh It's so natural for him to be the encourager, the uplifter, the edifier that he is. I mean, it just flows from him.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and Chuck's got he's got so many good things to say, but he's the kind of person that you learn so much more just being around. I have seen Chuck in so many different settings, and I can tell you that he absolutely lives out everything that he's saying about intergenerational ministry and response. I mean, he has—he's—he's he's probably one of the most tireless people that I know. At seventy, he said, and he's got more energy, I think, than I have ever had in my life. Uh, you no know, doubt. just I'll text him, and he's like traveling around the world. I mean, that you know, he'll be in Korea, and then the next. Next week, he's in, you know, Arkansas or, you know, wherever. I mean, it's like all over. It's hard to keep up with that guy. And every time I've spent like a dinner with him or uh, time one-on-one, I mean, he'll interact, not just with me in terms of, you know, care about what's going on in my life. And as he mentioned, you know, he prays daily for my son, which is just like an immense encouragement. But the guy engages with servers, for instance, you know, he'll, a server will come up to the table and ask us about our order and he'll start a conversation with them and, and enter into a time of prayer with the server, you know, you know, as part of our meal. And it's just like, he engages everybody that he's with. He's really a one of a kind guy.
2: Sounds like the role model everyone should have. Uh He needs a reality TV show.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He'd be, he'd be a good, he'd be a good candidate for his own reality TV show, you know, just follow a camera around, Around Chuck Stucker, you know the problem is I think it just wear the audience out because it's kind of like because
2: <laughs> you know, he won't stop moving.
1: <laughs> he just won't stop. He doesn't quit. I mean, and and I know that he, he fatigues like the rest of us, but boy, he's got a really high threshold. Well, no doubt. Well, so let's let's break down some of the things that we learned just from this episode. I know that, that you know Chuck is a guy that I've learned a lot from personally. As I said, I learned a lot just by observing him. But um, I think he's he had some good points in our episode here that uh, we should break down.
2: Well, I mean, you've been around him for a while, and I think you've been on the receiving end of what he's talking about. So, what, what what's really sticking out for you?
1: Well, I, you know, he started right off the bat, and he kind of just did it as an aside, a, a breaking down our thinking about what it means to be generational. You know, he talked about the difference between cross generational, multi generational, and intergenerational, and I hadn't really parsed the differences of those very much, and I I really do appreciate the the, the comment that he had that. That most of the times that we use the word generational, we use it in a way that tries to divide as opposed to as a way that tries to unite. Like, you know, like, so you, know you and I have you know, made fun about millennials or people in my generation or whatever, you know, and, and, and it's kind of true. We just try to stereotype and put people in these buckets so that we can find a way to safely critique them uh, in mass, as opposed to saying wait a minute let's find ways in which we can cross through those things that we may not fully understand so that we can grow by them
2: so true i mean it, when he started breaking that down i started thinking about that too even in the church i was at um well i'm still at we you know we were known as the young church the church not just how old the church itself was but what the average age of the attenders were you know we were this mega church that's under 10 years old and 70 percent of our congregation is under the age of 29 and mm-hmm. all this stuff and then we started this big movement of trying to get 40 plusers to come into our church and uh and just listening to chuck i just i'm just remembering such uh so many of the mistakes that we made because we started making 40 plus groups um you know 40 plus events and Basically, we, we tried to get the 40 plusers in so that the younger generation could connect with them. But all we did was created groups that it was just for people who are 40 years and older. So they never actually get a chance to connect with them if they, only on a Sunday morning or whatever service they came to. And so that, that separation between multigenerational and being intergenerational, it, it's, it's so important because I think even the people who are in the organizations who are trying to be intentional about it are unintentionally doing it the wrong way, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they don't even realize it.
1: Yeah. And I, the, the, without a strategy to do so. And, and I, you know, Chuck keeps talking about what the church can do in all of this. And I keep thinking about personally, what can I do in all of this? Because, you know, I don't have a lot of control over church structures and how they put events together or how they try to create groups and and, and affinities. But I do have control over the people that I let into my life and the people that I seek out in my own life. And, you know, I, I have found as I get older, my interest is to try to be more multi-generational or, or better said, more intergenerational in that, you know, I'm, I'm desiring to hang out with, you know, younger and younger people because I find the, the thinking is more, has more vitality, more hope, more energy behind it.
2: Right. And the thing that I love about um, what Chuck is saying that I just, I just find inspirational is that especially the, you know, the last several months I've spent time in looking at and being part of marginalized communities and seeing what some of the biggest issues are, not just locally, but out in Africa and uh, Hong Kong and these other areas. And one of the things I'm realizing is an epidemic, and it's a global epidemic, is this this issue of fatherlessness. And, it, and even the research that you look at of how many of the biggest issues stem from uh, children growing up without a father and what that does to them. So even looking at someone like Chuck and seeing him do the things that he does, I, I, I just hope that um, other people his age or even younger realize that Um, The people who step up, whether you want to be called a mentor, a coach, a consultant, uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. But someone who is just willing to intentionally spend time with someone who is younger than them, you're stepping into a gap that is so void of love and grace and attention and uh, guidance that... That people are just making all sorts of terrible decisions, but because they don't know any better, they've never seen anything better. They've never had anyone to process it with, other than people their own age, and it's creating such a uh, huge issue globally that most people don't even know what to do with it because you can't reverse time. But people like Chuck and other people like Chuck, who are willing to step into that role, will solve that problem. I mean it. it It's something that makes everyone listen when they know that the person standing in front of them is not just older or is not just more experienced or has more wisdom or has more degrees. It's the fact that they're they're, they're standing there and saying, even though you didn't have a father figure, I will be a father figure. Mm -hmm. And people just think that, oh, well, but, you know, a lot of kids did have fathers. But you know what? These older generations grew up just like my dad. I had a dad, but he was never there. He was gone to work at six a.m. and he came home from at ten p.m. I woke up at seven a.m. and I went to bed at eight p.m. So I didn't even see my dad other than once a week. It's an epidemic, and yeah. what what Chuck is doing, he's solving it. It's it's a it's a global issue, and this is a global solution.
1: Yeah, you know, you reminded me as you were just talking there. I had a I had an encounter with a man once who I have a lot of respect for, and he knows my backstory with my father. That you know, like your dad, wasn't all that engaged with me at all. And he's an older man. And he said, you know, Larry, I'd like to be, uh, you know, your father to you, you know, a father to you. And I was really, you know, touched by that offer. Um, But then over the course of the next several years, there was no, there was no engagement. (laughs) And, and, you know, I kind of felt like, well, you kind of are like, my dad was to me, you know, it's, it, it kind of, sort of negatively reinforced, you know, this, this woundedness that I had been trying to deal with in my life. And I was like, okay, here's another man that's come into my life. In his case, promising to be something that was absent in my life before. And, uh, and, and in some ways reinforcing the perception I had that, Hey, maybe, maybe I'm not somebody that someone else can believe in, you know? That's why I think Ouch. that whole thing is is really vital. But you also I want to touch on something too that you brought up or I mean at least that it it seems like when we think about mentors or maybe when we think about mentoring somebody, let's let's go there. Um, oftentimes we think about it in terms of how we might be able to help them through a challenge in their life or what have you. And and, it, and to me it occurs it and it occurs to me that That's a very transactional way to look at it. It's not relational at all. It's like, I want to be called upon when I can help them solve a problem and I'll feel good because I helped them solve a problem. It's kind of like rushing in to help people in a time of crisis and then you never see them again anymore after that. There's no relationship there. It's just transaction. And I think if we're going to take this idea of being intergenerational, we have to look at creating relationships that are not based on our perceived, the perception that we might have that they need us because of something. That we're just having a relationship because we'll have relationship. And as the need arises, then we can enter into it. But it's not because we're trying to solve something for a younger generation.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's, 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 it's not about the exchange. It's not about the problem solving. It's just about the presence are you present? And I remember one of my, uh, favorite mentors when I first kind of came into the faith, I remember this guy, he, I mean, he was in his sixties and he, you know, he would, he would just do funny things like use the word dude. And it wasn't like he was problem solving or anything like that. He wasn't trying to coach me through anything. It was very much like the relationship you and Chuck have where it's a once a week text message saying, Hey, what's up, dude. You know, like come on. I know you don't talk like that, but it, it, but those were such bonding moments. And and but it was the fact that he was already there. We were already having these conversations. That when the proverbial doo doo hit the fan, uh, it was easy for me to reach out to him and yep. problem solve with him. But it was because the relationship was there and it was comfortable to step into it with him and say, hey, I do need help now. But I didn't. I, I didn't need that help at first because I didn't even know how to utilize him. But it was the fact that he was just consistent and he was there and he just was the what's up dude guy
1: yeah exactly all right well so the bold idea out of this episode is to think about the relationships that you have and are you intentionally intergenerational are you entering into the life stream of people that are outside of your age comfort zone and expanding that because there's a there's a world of growth for all of us when we do that well, that's all the time that we have in this episode, but we want to let you know how you can get a copy of Chuck's book if you pass your baton, take it back. Now, you first need to be a subscriber to the podcast, and that's very easy to do. Go to BoldIdeaPodcast.com and sign up there to receive our show notes when they come out every week. You'll be a subscriber then. Then send us an email to info at bold idea podcast and just simply request the book and we'll get one out to you. Now we have just a limited number about five or six that we can send out. So be sure we're going to send this to the first uh, five or six that send us their email address and and indicate that they want a copy of his book. Now we also want to invite you to visit the show page for this podcast, boldideapodcast.com slash five seven, because you'll get links to Chuck's resources And also an opportunity for you to leave a comment about the show. And, of course, you can leave one over on social media or our show line at 612-568-ID or 612-568-4332.
2: Well, Armin, anything else? Last thoughts? No, I just want to thank anyone and everyone who is willing to step into that role that Chuck is inspiring people to step into.
1: Uh, Amen to that. Well, this is Larry Gates.
2: And Armin Asadi.
1: And until next week, we bid you adieu.
0: You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.